were all kids from Stony Island. The movie didn't talk about race, but it, it just shattered the, the myth of race in, in the urban city by just saying, look, people are just trying to like hurdle their differences and trying to get something done and trying to trying to dig this this thing that they do together. That's what the movie got to. It's rarely told how people come together and drop their differences and line up with their similarities in music and culture. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special bonus episode of the Directors Club podcast. Uh, both Patrick and myself will be recording more of these in the months to come, whether it's separately or a collaborative effort. And as you know, our show mainly focuses on me and Patrick and a guest talking about a director's filmography. But we will also try in the future to interview directors for special events or upcoming releases as well. And now the reason I wanted to spend 15 minutes with today's guest was mainly to make everyone aware of this DVD and VOD release of a film called Stony Island directed by the great Andrew Davis. Now, I grew up enjoying a lot of his films, and one of my favorite theatrical experiences was seeing The Fugitive opening night in a packed house, and not only because it was an incredible film, but my dad would lean over to me with such delight in pointing out specific Chicago locations that he recognized, including his own neighborhood, which is where some of the scenes in The Fugitive were shot. So not only that, but uh, Andrew Davis went to the same high school as both my father and my aunt, and added to that as well, more recently, Chicago film critic Nick DiGiulio, who is uh, the main inspiration for why I became uh, infatuated with movies, recently talked with Andrew Davis in an interview uh, on WGN Radio that made me appreciate his work even more. So I'm very lucky enough to talk with Andy, not only about Stony Island, but the experiences he had filming in the city of Chicago including the memories he had while filming The Fugitive. But what is more interesting, in my opinion, is the incredible backstory he has, working with some of the best musicians and filmmakers you can think of. And guys like Chuck D. and Quincy Jones are featured in the documentary special feature on the DVD for Stony Island, and they say it was one of the very first films to look past racial differences simply because of the uh, you know intoxicating passion that music had on these characters. And in a way, it, it seemed more like uh, an, an integrated documentary rather than just a feature narrative. And while watching it, I thought of, uh, of uh, Dave Chappelle's Block Party and even a movie like Hustle and Flow because those capture the infectious spirit of music and how that can unite us. So I really can't stress enough how um, significant Stony Island is is for those who love music and uh, especially Chicago history as well. So with that said, I couldn't be more thrilled to present our first official bonus interview with director Andrew Davis. Yeah, you see one city, you've seen them all. Only thing makes them different is how they feel. Look at this, downtown Chicago. Chicago's a nice town if you're looking for pizza. You just remember to come in when that solo comes in. Something funny about saxophone players, you guys are always late. Just leave me out of your vocabulary. Yeah, the vibes in Chicago make me feel like we're going to do it tonight. We're going to kill them, killer. I got to start getting serious about this music business. I hear you, brother. I was meant to be a star. One genuine black Les Paul custom Gibson guitar. $180. Wise choice. Hey, this kid, sometimes they don't know what they're getting, you know? Hey, person. 
on over. I want you to meet some friends. When you think of the truly great filmmakers to come out of Chicago, a name that should immediately come to mind alongside guys like John Landis, Michael Mann, or John McNaughton, is my guest here today on the Directors Club podcast. Andrew Davis has made some of the very best action movies of all time, including The Fugitive, Under Siege, Above the Law, but his debut feature, released in 1978, which was the year I was born, was more of a very personal story that captures the importance of music, culture, and race on the south side of Chicago in the late 70s. The film Stony Island is coming out on DVD and VOD on Tuesday, April 24th, And not only do I highly recommend this underseen independent gem that captures Chicago history with a very organic approach, but I'm honored to be talking with Andy today and learn more about his own personal history. Andy, welcome. Welcome to the show. Wow, that was quite an introduction, Jim. Thank you. Oh, sure. No problem. Happy to have you on. Uh, So, yeah, just uh, basically tell me about how uh, Stony Island came into fruition, since uh, I know it was a low-budget production. So how did you and your crew get this movie made? Well, it took years. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I was working as a cameraman in Hollywood and and having trouble getting in the union, which was very restrictive and not legally being... uh, accessed and um, I decided that it would be easier to make my own movie than to try to continue the path of being a union cameraman Hmm. and a wonderful fellow named Haskell Wexler who was sort of my mentor who had been an Academy Award winning cameraman himself. Oh yeah, you worked with him on Medium Cool if I recall. Right, he directed Medium Cool in 68 where we met. Hmm. Um, uh, Basically, you know, sort of inspired me to go and fight the union and try to make it open up for younger talent. And at the same time, you know, I, I, I had been working on lower budget non-union pictures in California. I said, well, I'm just going to try to put together a story that I can relate to. I'd seen American Graffiti, and uh, which was George Lucas's first feature, uh, really a second feature. And then I saw um, Mean Streets, which was one of the early films Scorsese did about oh, their yeah. growing up in mm-hmm. Northern California and New York. And I said, well, I'll do a film about where I grew up. And my brother was a kid who was growing up in the southeast side of Chicago, and he was work growing up in a neighborhood that was changing overnight from being white to black. And he, my parents decided they weren't going to leave. They weren't going to be scared away by the real estate issues and the racial issues, and they stayed in the neighborhood. So I thought it would be very interesting to do a film about a white kid making it in a black neighborhood who was a young musician. And so that became the basis of my thinking about making my first movie. <clears throat> I continued to shoot movies, and and uh, I, I did a movie called Lucky with Tony Curtis, a big sort of Hollywood-type oh, yeah. movie. And uh, I met a woman named Tamar Hoffs, and she was one of the writers, and I told her my story about my brother, and she said, you know, I've got a brother just like that, named Carmi Simon. He lives in Hyde Park. And he's another kid who fell in love with the blues and the Chicago soul sound. And and so we sat down and we wrote a script called Stony Island and, uh, and then spent, you know, quite a bit of time trying to figure out how to raise $300,000 chasing tax deals and all kinds of other things. And, mm. and eventually wound up just raising the money at $6,000 a share and put together this movie. And, uh, Tammy brought in, you know, connections her family had, and I brought in connections my family had to either try to find money or cooperation or locations or talent. 
And somehow we cobbled it together and made it in 1977. That's amazing. <laughs> um, so how did you find and recruit all these incredible musicians? Obviously, I mean, we were talking earlier uh, about the whole six degrees of separation sort of coming into play a lot with, uh, with the Chicago community and whether it fits with uh, music or filmmaking. People sort of come together to you know, express an artistic vision of some kind. But how did, how did you find uh, most of these musicians who were clearly influenced by uh, Chicago blues at the time? Well, uh, my, I, had, I met a guy named Chuck Stepner who, who was working from Chicago, was working actually in L.A. for CBS, and he knew about the project. And he knew I was looking for a sort of an older mentor character uh, to help these kids put their band together. And uh, he introduced me to Gene Barge, who was this legendary sax player who was from Norfolk, Virginia, but had been in Chicago several years working at Chess Records. Hmm. And he, he would working with Muddy Waters and working with Etta James and all the top uh, chess artists. His rhythm section was Maurice White, who later started Earth, Wind & Fire, wow. Phil Upchurch, the great guitar player, who George Benson hired as his guitar player. Um, uh, Donnie Hathaway. I mean, it, it, this was his rhythm section. So we had these, these incredibly talented people. And he was then, at that point, producing uh, and arranging Natalie Cole's first album. And he had a group of really talented young musicians in that band. And so I took my brother Richie and his friend Stoney Robinson, who played the lead in the movie, plays the lead in the movie. He was this great young singer. And we thrust them together with Gene's rhythm section. And then I brought in Ronnie Barron, who we had heard on a Paul Butterfield album, who was this great blues singer from New Orleans, who worked with Dr. John and Louis Prima and hang out, hung out with a, a Little Richard when he was a kid. George Anglin Jr., who was a Cloris Leachman's son, who was this talented young sax player, he plays this hillbilly kid from uptown. Ray Don Chong, I met through a record executive by the name of Joel Sill. She was the 16-year-old kid, Tommy Chong's daughter. So we just went on and on with connections and people and talent sort of coming together to create this kind of interracial band that became the basis of the Stony Island band. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, you've worked with some of the most talented people on the planet. And just, you know, having that experience must... You know, must just have been overwhelming, but so I'm um, I'm sure challenging at the same time. Um, you know, I th I, obviously the the movie doesn't directly talk about race, but it, it it's you know it definitely is about more about how people come together to look past their differences in order to you know create music, which we all feel is sort of the universal language of artistic expression and. This film definitely captures the, the spirit of music, but in a neighborhood that's just, you know, full of history. And, you know, you, you, you have clearly, you know, had um, consistently been filming in the city of Chicago. And what has your overall experience been, whether, you know, with Stony Island or with films that followed filming in Chicago? Well, I love Chicago. I mean, you know, it's, it's a, it can relate to it because I grew up there. Yeah, and I, I understand its history and its culture, and so when I make a film there, I feel like I'm, I'm sort of grounded. You know, I'm not, mm -hmm. not going to get electrocuted <laughs> in, being, in terms of off base. Sure. Um, and because of the talent pool of either people who grew up there, who have come there, 
you know, there's a lot of incredible talent both in front and behind the camera. And we were able to get great cooperation just at the time we made Stony Island, Mayor Daly's funerals in the, in, in the movie. He wasn't a great fan of movies because most movies depicted Chicago as a home for gangsters and things. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, he didn't want to do that. And so I, I wanted to basically you know, find a way to run around the city and do all kinds of things like that. So we just literally jumped on L trains and, and didn't have insurance or permits. Probably it's something I could never do anymore. <laughs> True. Because of liability issues and safety issues. But we just, we didn't know anybody. You know, it wasn't that we didn't know anybody. We didn't have the money. So, uh, but since that time, I, I think I made six or seven other movies in Chicago. And, and uh, I've always said, great reception and great cooperation. Um, and I would love to come back and do another one. Oh, we hope you do. It's, it's interesting because I definitely get a sense of time and place when watching a movie that is set in Chicago. It's Sometimes it's like so tempting to go, oh, I know where that is and I know that location and how cool that he chose to film there. Or especially when I watch Thief and he blew up the green mill. That's so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I mean, but guys like Christopher Nolan or Michael Bay, they just don't really capture some of the more, you know, uh, not necessarily underground, but just the more unique locations that the city has to offer, which you certainly did. And that sort of brings me to ask you about one of my all time favorite movies, The Fugitive, since the majority of it was filmed in Chicago. And it just it utilizes some unexpected locales like, you know, the St. Patrick's Day Parade or the Chicago Memorial Hospital. What? What are some of the more memorable moments you recall from uh, shooting The Fugitive here in Chicago? Well, you know, it was it was working with that level of talent with Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones sure. and you know, the, the people I had to work with. Also, you know, I had tremendous support from the studio at that point because I'd just done Under Siege and we were sort of left alone to tailor this movie. Um I don't know. It was just, it was just great. You know, we, we had, it was one of those situations where we had the backing and we were left alone to do what we wanted to do, which is, I think, sort of rare today, either because the budgets are so high or the executive is so nervous. But, um, uh, I, Harrison's from Chicago and, right. and he, you know, so there was, that was a nice charm. Uh, Tommy Lee and I had just done under siege. We had done the package in Chicago earlier with Gene Hackman. And great so movie. he was, he loved the city. It was our, it was, a, you know, the third time we'd worked together. And so having also the crew that I had taken from Chicago, from above the law, from Code of Silence, and taken them down to to Mobile, Alabama for under siege and backing. So it was, it was, a, it was like a, a family. We had all these different people who had worked together for years, working again on a big Hollywood movie, sort of a reward for all of our hard work. So that felt good that the family was being well taken care of. Oh, definitely. I'm. Uh, it's interesting that I think, if I recall, you wanted to shoot uh, the St. Pa- uh, St. Patrick's Day Parade uh, in Stony Island, but you got your uh, you got your chance when uh, filming The Fugitive too. That must have been a trip. <laughs> well, I, I was going to try to shoot it in Stony Island, but Richard Daly died, so we right. shot his funeral instead. And it wouldn't it wouldn't have been the St. Patrick's Day Parade without a Daly as mayor walking down the street, you know. <laughs> and so, so when we when we did it for The Fugitive, it was a, sort of a last minute decision. Because there's a sequence where Tommy Lee Jones is chasing Harrison down the steps of City Hall and trying to get out. And I couldn't end the sequence there. I needed some further pursuit. And so, like, days before, we got permission from the, I think, the steam fitters or the plumbers union in the city. And we just sort of invisibly ran out in the streets with our cameras and just participated in the parade. 
And going to the uh, Conrad Hilton Irish bar afterwards was one of the joys of my life because it was really cold and we got to be really warm afterwards. Oh, that's great. Really, I mean, you have you, you seem to have like the uh, sort of guerrilla uh, filmmaking style infused into you. Even when when filming a movie like The Fugitive, it seemed a lot of it was like done on the fly in that way. Well, I think that's one of the reasons that the, the film seems to have sort of heart and soul because people feel like it's not just sort of a about it, it is about you know the cart the train crashes. Oh yeah. Always talks about, but at the same time, you get to care about the people on the train or in the bus mm-hmm. and. Uh, and I think that you do because of the kind of reality that the film has. And, uh, you know, I've done other films since then that have big visual effects like The Guardian. Sure. Even Holes had a lot of visual effects. And, and there's a place for all that. And I appreciate what, what we can do with, the, with those worlds right now. But I think I grew up based upon my interest in sort of realistic directors making stories in real places like Haskell, Sidney Lumet, Norman Jewis, and Kubrick. Those were the kind of images and styles that it, that appeal to me. Oh, definitely. I get that sense completely from, from the majority of your work. Just a random question, though. I'm curious. How many takes were there of Tommy Lee Jones saying, I don't care? Because that is one of my favorite deliveries by an actor ever. And not too many. Probably one or two. It was, it was, we were at a set, but it was wet and, and cold, and you know, we wanted to move on. That's great. Well, I uh, I am such I'm so grateful that I got to see uh, Stony Island because um, you know I, I I missed it in my youth and I kind of wish I'd seen it uh, when I was living in Calumet City in that area especially. But I'm grateful that we all get the opportunity to view this classic, especially you know in in terms of its place in Chicago history. I think it's an important film that everyone should check out. It's coming out on DVD and VOD on Tuesday, April twenty fourth. It's an incredible film that. You know, it's about struggling to find a musical identity and, you know, in such a, you know, incredible uh, environment that uh, I know have, have personal connection to. I, can't, I loved Gene Barger's character. That, that, that really moved me. And I can't tell you how hard I laughed <laughs> during the sequence where the, the two guys are, are calling up the, the classified ads looking for, for a cheap saxophone. Trying to get the price down. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. a true story. It happened to a friend of mine when he he, he did the, he used that technique to get the price down on a motorcycle. <laughs> so that he was, just adapted. That was anyway, really great. The, the, the DVD has got uh, an alternate ending, which <gasps> is interesting, and it's got some uh, the making of uh, with Quincy Jones and Chuck D talking about the movie in an interesting perspective. So if people can go online and look up Stony Island the movie. They can look at that, and then they can get the DVD or download it. So I hope people get to see it over and over. Same here. Couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for your time, Andy. It was a real pleasure talking with you, and thanks for being on the Directors Club podcast. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it. That about wraps it up for this bonus episode of the Directors Club podcast. And what a cool guy Andrew Davis is, huh? I really, really hope he comes back to Chicago and uh, films something new here in the near future. Uh, be sure to visit StonyIslandMovie.com so you can order your own copy of the uh, Stony Island DVD, and it's got a lot of cool features on there. And um, you can also check it out on VOD as well. Um, that about does it, so uh, stay tuned to the DirectorsClubPodcast.com website for more shows. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Thank you. Bye-bye.